you've been dealing with fertility issues or menstrual issues or acne and skin problems or even certain kinds of cancer treatments haven't worked, believe it or not, something as simple as changing your diet may make all the difference in the world. All of these problems have something in common. They're all hormonally driven. Hormones, scary word, boring topic. Maybe until you realize how simple the solution to your problem may actually be. I'm Sarah Heiner, and this is the Bottom Line Advocator Podcast. And hey, don't forget to rate and review us at the end so more people can hear this great information and listen to the special offer I've got at the end as well. I'm Sarah Heiner, president of Bottom Line Inc., the number one provider of expert-sourced, expert-vetted, expert advice that empowers your life. I'm thrilled to be welcoming back today Dr. Neil Barnard. He's the founder and president of the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. Neil's authored more than 90 scientific publications as well as 20 books including the bestsellers Power Foods for the Brain and the 21-Day Weight Loss Kickstart. And his latest book, Your Body in Balance, The New Science of Food, Hormones, and Health, is sure to be another bestseller. Dr. Barnard is a frequent lecturer appearing throughout the world and is an adjunct professor of medicine at the George Washington University School of Medicine. You can learn more about Dr. Barnard and his work at pcrm.org. And his new book will be published on February 4th, but is already available for presale on Amazon and wherever books are sold. So, Neil, thank you. Welcome back, and congratulations on your newest book. Well, thank you. It's great to be with you again. Well, you know, I read your books for tough subjects. You and I were just talking about this before we started recording. For tough subjects, your books are so readable and you make it so accessible to people because hormones is really difficult. Hormones, it it makes it sound very scientific, but what it really comes down to is that certain foods, without our knowledge, are changing our hormone balance. And so that shows up as menstrual cramps that we, we didn't realize that's what it is or erectile dysfunction. Um, or weight gain or unexplained weight loss and all these things we didn't realize had to do with food and foods dialing our hormones up or down. So that's, that's really the issue. And let, let, let me give you an example of how this works. There was a, a woman who I describe in the book. Her name is Catherine. She's a real person. She uh, was in the Air Force. She was an aerospace engineer. In 2003, she was one of the first people to go into Iraq because she designed the military bases there. And when you're in a war zone and you're eating what the Army gives you, you're working hard and you don't gain any weight. But when her tour of duty came to an end, she went back to Louisiana, where she was from, and started eating all the things that she hadn't had overseas, uh, particularly cheese, mac and cheese, queso, all these things. In fact, uh, a friend knew that she loved macaroni and cheese. A friend gave her 48 case, uh, a whole case of 48 boxes of those little macaroni and cheese boxes, uh, 48 of them, which she ate for 48 days straight. Oh, my God. Anyway. That has, that has uh, to be gained, like heading toward a Guinness Book of World Record. Like, let's see if we can get these mac and cheeses eaten. She loved them. Okay. Uh, the problem was she gained weight, and then she also started developing some symptoms. Uh, she started getting pain in her abdomen. It got worse and worse and worse. It would well up with her menstrual cycle, but it never really went away. And she had one medical evaluation after another. And to make a very long story short, finally a doctor did a laparoscopy where you look into the abdomen with a special scope, and he made the diagnosis. This was called endometriosis. It's a common condition. Cells that, so the cells that line the uterus are escaping, and they 
seem to travel up the fallopian tubes and they implant all around the abdomen and they swell with a woman's cycle and they cause pain, sometimes excruciating pain. That was her situation. So the doctor tried various painkillers and hormonal treatments and all kinds of stuff. Nothing was getting better. Plus, the involvement that the endometriosis was involving her intestinal tract, it was involving her fallopian tubes and her ovaries. And the doctor said, you are miserable and you are also very likely infertile. The, what's going to make this go away is a hysterectomy. And she thought about that and said, you mean remove my uterus and everything else? I'm never going to have kids. She and her husband were, were newlyweds. She was thinking, do I want not to ever have kids? But she couldn't function, and she figured she was infertile, so she scheduled the procedure. Well, However, and of course, before, also, our doctors tell us what to do, and you, you go with them because they're the expert. So there she was, was nodding. Her, that was her situation, exactly. Right. right. Yeah, she figured, you know, th this is incurable. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be uh, infertile unless... I, I, I mean, I'm, I can't be cured right. unless I have the hysterectomy, so right. I'll never have kids, but at least maybe I'll be pain-free. So she scheduled the procedure, um, but it was not going to happen for about another six or seven weeks. Um, during the interim, a friend brought her to see a nutrition expert who said, wait a minute, we have known for some time that foods can change hormones. So the, the nutrition expert took all of the dairy and meat out of her diet, kept oils very, very low, uh, which is really the kind of diet that we would use, say, for a cancer patient. Um, and she, it was a, a vegan diet, but as time went on, she felt better. Her pain started to diminish very rapidly. But anyway, the day of the procedure came, and the doctor did the... It's a laparoscopic hysterectomy where you put a tube in through the abdomen and you tear the uterus apart and pull it out. But the doctor looked inside, and then he sewed her up, and he sent her to the recovery room, and after about an hour, he woke her up and he said, your endometriosis is effectively gone. I, I didn't do the hysterectomy. Um, and so her mother was there, and they were talking about this, and the, she had made the diet change, and this was, had caused the situation to improve. The doctor said, no way, no way. Food has nothing to do with this. this if you're better now, the only explanation is, a miracle. And right. so the, the whole idea was that diet didn't matter, that what, what had made this go away was some kind of miraculous result. So, uh, and by the way, now she has three children. She never had the procedure. She's still got her, her uterus intact. Um, she's not infertile. She feels fine. She has no pain anymore at all. And so what this tells us is that you can use foods to dial back estrogens, the female sex hormones, into the healthy range so that they are no longer fueling the growth of endometrial cells um, and fertility can re return to normal. And all of these same changes that, that she made, other people can make for a wide variety of conditions that are bothering them. All right, I'm gonna pause you before we go into all those details because I, want, I, mean, I wanted to tell a couple of stories. So this is one story, there's another one I want you to tell because again, when I, first, when I first thought about doing this, and I thought, oh my gosh, hormones is such a difficult topic for people to understand. But when you paint this picture of this poor woman who was ready to lose her uterus, and yet all she had to do was change her diet, and it went away, and in a phenomenal amount of time, I mean, that's just an enormously like shocking speed of recovery. 
for that. Yeah, month and a half. Yeah, phenomenal. So I just think that paints such a powerful picture. And then we're going to go into in a couple minutes how that happened and what those dietary changes are and to help people understand why it's so powerful, why going to a vegan diet had such an impact on our hormones. But tell another story, if you will, because, you know, women's stuff, we all know hormones are so directly related to it. But there's another super powerful story of the doctor who had prostate cancer in your book. Yeah, uh, Tony Sadalero. He was the president of Methodist Hospital in Philadelphia. And at age 45, uh, he was having a routine chest X-ray as part of as part of his annual physical, and his radiologist noticed densities on his X-ray in his uh, sternum and in his ribs and so forth. So at f- they, they weren't sure what this was, but to make his story shorter, um, it turned out that this was prostate cancer. Now many men will get prostate cancer. They're 75 years old or 85 years old. It's usually quite slow growing. But if the cancer is so fast and aggressive that it's already spread at age 45, this was a death sentence. And clearly he had no other symptoms. I mean, this had to just be flash on him. Yes, although after or he, he ignored them. This, after he found this, he realized right. that he had had some aches and pains, which he thought, well, I, you know, I fell off my bike, and maybe that's the reason I'm having this kind of back pain. But then they, he realized this probably was because he had metastatic cancer. So he had a matter of a couple of months to live, and um, as fate would have it, his father was dying of lung cancer at the same time, and his father did die. So he drove up to New Jersey, and he buried his father, and he tried to console his mother, and then he thought in whatever time he had left, he was going to go back to Philadelphia and run the hospital and, and get it into good shape to pass to, 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 to the surviving staff. So uh, he, he, he got onto the New Jersey Turnpike, and there were a couple of hitchhikers there. He picked them up just to have somebody to talk to, and it turned out that they had just gotten out of macrobiotic cooking school, um, meaning they had been learning Chinese medicine and how to choose Chinese and Japanese foods and so forth. And he listened to them drone on about how cancer was no big deal, and if you just eat miso soup and brown rice, everything's going to be great. And he found them so irritating because they didn't realize that he was a physician who knew about this, and he didn't need their kind of yin-yang, silly stuff to try to cheer him up. Um, but before they got out of the car, uh, they said, Doc, let, me, let us send you some more information, and they pried his address out, and, out of him. And a few days later, he got a package, 67 cents postage due, um, and it <laughs> talked all about that. how a diet could get hormones into better balance and improve his prostate cancer. And as he read it, there were some stories in there of, of a, there was one in particular of a, of a another physician who did actually quite well. So he thought, I've got no alternative, I'll try it. And so he tried this diet, and at first he found it really tough because it said make brown rice, and so he blew up his pressure cooker, and he didn't know how to do it. But he, he learned, and instead of dying at two months and three months and four months, he was feeling better. And the other doctors would look at poor Tony going into the physician's uh, dining room with his chopsticks and his brown rice, thinking here's the desperate efforts of a dying man. But, but he was looking pretty healthy. So after a year, Tony looked like his old self. And so he went back to the radiology department, and he had a repeat bone scan. And that made medical history because he had had metastatic prostate cancer. And now in the repeat scan, 
the cancer was gone. It was undetectable. And so he became quite famous for this case. And he wrote a book called Recalled by Life. And he went on all the talk shows. And he told everybody about this amazing recovery. And about 10 years later, I met him and I got to know him. And I saw his scans and it's true. Um, it was the most amazing recovery. But he then told me something. He said, I've been well for so long. I want to see if I could just go back to a normal way of eating. And I thought, that sounds pretty risky to me. And so, but he did. He started bringing meat and so forth back into his diet. And very soon, he started to get symptomatic again. And his hands swole up and his energy went down. And one day I called him up on the phone and his voice was, was slurred. And I said, Tony, this isn't, what's the matter with you? And he said, oh, it's the narcotics. His cancer had come back, and he was on painkillers. And about a week or two later, he was dead. Wow. So his, his case, we, we can't know if diet actually caused his prostate cancer and, and if the diet change cured him or if he'd still been on a healthy diet today, would he be alive? But we do know, and particularly since he died, there has been so much research now on how foods affect not just the risk of getting prostate cancer, but whether you live or die from it. So food is the most powerful medicine that we have. Well, and it's phenomenal to see the power that it had for this extreme case of cancer to put it at bay. And I don't know if they ever called it cured or remission or because since it came back, but then so powerful that when he went off that diet and changed his diet back to the way it had been, that it all came roaring back that the food held it at bay. Um, and so I was gonna ask you this later, but let me ask you this now. I mean, is the food curing it? Because there was, an, or, or because it came back when you stopped, or did it just hide it, right? Just, just kept it at bay? Because there was another story in there about, I guess a woman that had breast cancer, the same thing happened. It had, she, she changed her diet, she overcame it, went off the diet, and it all came back. I think what's happening with cancer is that in all of us, cancer cells can arise from time to time, and your body has a way of dealing with them. Hopefully your immune system recognizes them and knocks them out and gets rid of them. And if a person has actually had metastatic cancer, where what that simply means is that the cancer arises somewhere in the body, like in a man's prostate or in a woman's breast, and then they metastasize or, or spread to somewhere else in the body. So cancer treatments are designed to try to suppress their growth and, and uh, minimize them. But, you, but there may still be cancer cells here or there. And the diet, what we believe is happening, is that the diet is causing the cancer cells to regress. But they could still, they could still be present here or there. But if, they are, if there's only one or two and they're, they're not growing, they just sit there and they don't hurt you. Um, but then if you start to fertilize these cancer cells again, I'm thinking like fertilizing plants so that they grow, uh, the, the cancer cells will grow and spread again. That's what we think is happening. Yeah, well, it's interesting because I know they're, they're starting to shift the way they talk about cancer. I'm not going to call it a lifestyle disease, but like that it's not, it's not like you get the flu and then you're, you get over it, right? But that it's, that it, because there are so many long-term survivors of it, that they're, they're changing the, the view of it to something like what you're talking about, that you might have cancer hidden in you, but you're living a great life. So you're able to function fully and you're able to get on with your life and you're not living um, you know, in and out of the emergency room. 
Yes, I think you could say I put this disease in remission. So it's not progressing, it's not growing, it's not going to hurt me. Um, but th- but that's different from the word cure, which I, I think is sometimes misused. The whole idea is I managed to somehow find every cancer cell in your body and I removed it. We really don't know that that's the case. But if I can put this disease in remission so that nothing is happening right. um, and you can live a normal life, that is the goal of treatment. And to think that you know, nobody went into to Tony's ribs and pulled the cancer out. Um, what he did was he, he stopped eating cheeseburgers and, and you know, uh, the, the typical right. diet that he had been eating before. Right. And that caused his hormones to get into better balance and, and helped him to drive this cancer into submission. Well, and I think it's a really important point you made that, that we all have cancer all the time in our body, that it shows up and goes away if our immune system and our body's functioning at its optimum rate. But given our lifestyle, given our diet, we are not per, we're not creating a quality environment that allows the body to keep that cancer, those cancers at bay. Um, and that's really what you're trying to help people to do is to boost the strength of their bodies to you know, f- fight also so many things. Yes, you, you can inhale a cold virus because you're on a bus and somebody else is sneezing and coughing and, and your immune system recognizes it, knocks it out, you're okay. Um, cancer cells will form on our body too. The immune system hopefully recognizes them, knocks them out, and you're going to be okay. Um, and so even if some of them will survive as long as your body can contain them, fair enough. Right, exactly. All right, so those were two, I think, incredibly powerful stories, but there are similar, similar power in the food. So let's talk about just give me a rundown so that, so that people can hear it's not just about prostate cancer, not just about endometriosis, but there's, there's a long list of stuff. Can you do a little rattling but not too fast of some of the other things that, that respond to this same formula? Yes. Let me put them in categories. The first, the sex hormone category. So the uh, testosterone for men, estrogens for women, um, these relate to fertility. And so fertility can be strongly affected by foods. And anybody who's, who's listening to this, who's been dealing with fertility issues, the foods um, are really the light at the end of the tunnel. Related to that common menstrual cramps, uh, PMS, uh, also endometriosis, which we talked about with Catherine, uh, polycystic ovary syndrome, there are hormone-related cancers, especially uh, breast, ovary, uterus, for women and for men, prostate or testicular cancer. And then finally, what bugs a lot of women is uh, menopausal symptoms, uh, where they're having hot flashes and sexual changes and so forth. Um, Those are all in the sex hormone category. Then what I'm going to call the metabolic category, diabetes, thyroid diseases, um, your skin and hair, and also moods. Our moods uh, will change based on hormones. And let me uh, make sure that we emphasize erectile dysfunction. A lot of guys think that erectile dysfunction is a Viagra deficiency, but it is not. It's caused by lack of blood flow, and we can change that. Um, so those, those really are the, 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 main, the main ones. But if you think about it, um, let's say my thyroid is acting up, and this is a, a hormonal issue. In turn, that's going to cause changes to my body weight, to my mood, to my energy, and all aspects of life are affected. If diabetes has reared up, then that in turn increases the risk of heart attacks and stroke and Alzheimer's. So if I can choose foods that get my hormones back into balance, you can change innumerable aspects of your life. All right, so let's now go into a little bit deeper. Now now that we're easing them into this, let's pull apart um, a couple of these ailments and explain the connection because again so many people think of it's what goes in and what comes out and that's food 
and that it's just about energy, but there's you know so much more that's going on. So let's talk about these um, sex hormone and fertility. And I, I called it fertility in my when I was outlining what I was going to talk about. Um, the uh, you know that range of range of ailments in terms of connecting the dots between the hormones and um, and the ailment, right? So like for example, okay. you talked about that if you're overweight, right? So fertility, a big thing was about being overweight and that was excess hormones and hormones are produced in your fat. Sure, but if you don't mind, actually let me weave this into a little bit of a story too, too because this is, this is actually what started me off in this direction. I was sitting here at this desk talking on this phone, but it was many years ago, and it was a young woman who had terrible menstrual cramps. And she called me up because she wanted strong painkillers. And she had a business trip uh, the next day. She could basically not function. And she said, help me, I need to get on a plane tomorrow, but I am curled up with pain now. And so I said, I'll give you painkillers. But, um, but as she was talking, I started to think about menstrual cramps. If I can increase the amount of fiber in your diet and greatly reduce the amount of fat in your diet, that will dial your estrogen back to a more normal level. And that stops the thickening of the uterus that leads to cramps next month. So no doctor, to my knowledge, had ever suggested such a thing uh, as a treatment for uh, menstrual pain before, but I reasoned physiologically this ought to work. And it, it cured her. She, her menstrual cramps were, she never had them again unless she would deviate from the diet. So you, are, um, you told so, her to eat more fiber, so that was more plant fiber, basically add fruits exactly, and vegetables in? Exactly. When I say fiber, I mean uh, beans and vegetables and fruits and whole grains. And, and here's how it works. Um, your liver filters estrogens out of the blood, and it sends them into the intestinal tract where they go down your intestine, and those estrogens are literally flushed away with your waste. However, if you don't have enough fiber in your diet, then the estrogens don't have the fiber to, to hold on to, so to speak, and your body reabsorbs them back into the bloodstream. So if you have a higher fiber diet, then as the liver sends the estrogens into the bloodstream, uh, I'm sorry, out of the bloodstream into your intestinal tract, the fiber in your intestine grabs those estrogens, carries them away, and that excess estrogen that's causing a goofy menstrual cycle is gone, and you feel back in balance. So she was effectively cured in this. But in the course of this, I wanted to do more research and see if this would be true for a large group of women. So working with the Georgetown University Department of OBGYN, we did a randomized clinical trial where we brought in a large group of women, and what we found was that the diet worked for them too. Um, and we figured we knew what the mechanism was. Uh, PMS was better, and, and cramps were alleviated to a very substantial degree. However, here's the next step. We asked all of the participants in this study not to take any hormone medications. It, let's say they were sexually active and they were using birth control pills. The, the hormones in the pills would goof up our study. They, they're a confounder. Mm-hmm. So we said, all right, uh, if you're sexually active, please use some other birth control method, okay. if you would. One of the women in the study said, don't worry about me. My husband and I don't use any birth control because we, we, we gave up having a baby years ago. We, we were evaluated. It's not him. It's me. I'm, I don't ovulate. It's, we're, we're infertile. We don't, we don't use the pill. We don't use anything. The second month that she was on the healthy, plant-based, high-fiber diet that we were using, she came into the research center and she said, I've got good news, but I also got bad news. And I said, well, what is it? And she said, I've got to leave your research study because I'm pregnant. 
and she gave birth to a healthy baby, and then another one later, and one after that, she had three kids. Yeah. Um, this is a woman who thought she was infertile. She joined our research study to help with her menstrual cramps. A very low-fat, high-fiber diet got her estrogen balanced right where it ought to be, and her fertility was cured. Um, so how many people so, that are out there that are undergoing IV, IV, IVF and other kinds of fertility, pumping their bodies full of hormones at enormous, you know, damage to their body at enormous cost to them could simply change their diet and get pregnant. And there's no guarantee that those treatments work. Um, every couple yeah. that's dealing with this, they are shelling out phenomenal amounts of money. Um, now, And it's hard on the relationship know. besides. Oh, my goodness sakes. Um, no, a loving relationship and sexuality is transformed into a cold clinical experience of trying to figure out when is the, the, the correct time and, and so forth. It's, um, now, we never know who is going to be affected by foods and who is not going to be. But all of the side effects of the diet that I'm recommending are good ones. And, and what I'm recommending is eating lots of vegetables, lots of fruits, lots of legumes, and lots of whole grains, those four groups, vegetables, fruits, whole grains, beans. I want you to take a vitamin B12 supplement for complete nutrition. And the best diets, the healthiest ones, the ones with the, for your best chance of, of sustained health, get rid of the meats and the dairy products and the eggs and, and, and the greasy fried foods. Get rid of that stuff. And don't take my word for it, but you try it for a little while, and people discover a wide variety of symptoms start improving. So we can fine-tune it, but in broad breaststrokes, that's the kind of prescription that we're using. Now, there were some interesting, um, I'll call it, dots to follow in terms of dairy and the impact of dairy on the hormones. And it wasn't just about hormones that are being fed to the cattle, right, or antibiotics or any of that that's being fed. That there was, it was more complex than that in terms of what the dairy's doing yeah. to well, yes, there, there are a couple of things. Um, it's true that on some dairy farms, bovine growth hormone is injected into the cow, um, and there are there's understandable concerns about that. But there's a much bigger, bigger concern. Every dairy cow at every dairy in the United States and, frankly, much of the rest of the world is uh, artificially inseminated every year. They're, they're impregnated so that, so that they, they, calve, they have a calf every single year. If, the, if you don't do that, their milk production slacks off. So they are milked during their pregnancy. They're, crea they're creating estrogens in larger and larger quantities as the pregnancy goes by. Those estrogens get into the milk, and it's not very much. Uh, it's a trace. But as the milk is converted to cheese, the estrogens go with the fat, and the amount of estrogens in the cheese is still only traces, but it's building up. And the average man or woman consumes... 35, 36, 37 pounds of cheese every, every year, plus ice cream, plus milk, plus yogurt, and they're getting significant traces of estrogens. And researchers have done two frightening studies. One is men's sperm counts are reduced in relation to eating cheese. The more cheese they eat, the, lower, the worse their sperm counts, suggesting that they're getting too much estrogen for their reproductive health. With women, it's worse. Uh, researchers in California looked at women who had previously been treated for, for breast cancer, and their likelihood of dying of their cancer was 49% higher if they were in the high dairy group. And I'm, I'm speaking specifically of, of high-fat dairy products like butter and cheese. So and the specific comparison was one or more servings of high-fat dairy a day that 
was associated with a 49% higher mortality from breast cancer compared to women who generally avoided high-fat dairy. Yeah, it's every every time I hear you give those stories, and I have I basically haven't eaten dairy in 20 years, um, but every time I hear you hear that story, I just want to purge, you know, shake anybody that I know by the collar. Although pizza's so good, just once in a while. Um, <laughs> it's the one thing that people really do get hooked on. Um, it's so and good. That's for a different. That's for a different reason. I'm but sure. there's one more aspect right. of of the dairy that people should understand that the most plentiful nutrient in milk is actually not uh, fat or hormones, it's actually sugar. If, if you take a glass of milk, people don't think of it this way, but the number one nutrient in it is lactose. And lactose sugar breaks down in your body to release galactose, G-A-L-A-C-T-O-S-E, galactose. That can be toxic to the ovaries and is linked to infertility and to ovarian cancer. Yeah, and I, I saw that was in the book as well, and I had seen that. Um, I know the the list of the dangers of this is just so phenomenal. Now, how come? Well, if, he, if people think right. that this is just trivial, let, let me give you a couple right. of numbers. In many women have their fertility slacking off in their, particularly in their thirties, maybe between about age twenty eight, twenty nine, going to about age thirty nine, they know their fertility is not going to be as good, which is why many women think gee, I, I want to have a career, I don't want to have a baby when I'm 21, but maybe it's going to be harder when I'm 37 to get pregnant. That's really true. Uh, a researcher named Dan Kramer in Boston at, at Brigham and Women's Hospital mapped out dairy habits at varying countries. Thailand, dairy is not a big part of the diet. Uh, between the late 20s and the late 30s, the average woman's fertility dropped off by about maybe 25%, something like that. If you look in Omaha, or in Dallas, or in Trenton, or in Philadelphia, uh, where women consume a lot of dairy. They're told to have dairy. The drop in fertility is about 80% during that period of time. And what we think it is, is the dairy sugar attacking the ovary. Um, And the ovaries are also subject to getting ovarian cancer, which is also correlated with dairy consumption. So we all grew up with it. I certainly did. But what we now think is that the milk sugar is harmful along with the milk fat, along with the estrogens. And those studies, do, have you done studies, I'll call it, within the United States of dairy drinkers and dairy not? Because you know, I, could, I could be you know, be the pessimist and go, yeah, but those are, you know, the, the people in other parts of the, the world, they live a different stressed life. They don't, you know, their pace of life is different. So there's so many other extenuating factors from a lifestyle or genealogical point of view of, of their bodies, you know, someplace I, else I think versus the I US. think that's a legitimate point. Right. Um, and I should say, though, that when people have looked at this, it's not just Thailand versus right. the United States. Um, if you look at country after country after country, the, the pattern is not perfect, but it's a general trend, plus the fact that it's not just an association between uh, high dairy and more infertility, but we also have a little bit of a smoking gun, and that's the, the galactose that we know can be toxic to the ovary. Right. So I, I, I do think it's true. I think we do need more research, and I think that we should not um, uh, we, we should not um, uh, assume that, that we don't need any more research in these areas. I think we do. At the same time, though, there, there, there is only benefit yes. to having a healthful plant-based diet. And for a couple struggling with, with fertility issues or a person who's had ovarian cancer in their family, or, or frankly, a, a person who's got, had, 
has, is concerned about the cancer risk for their, for, for their own children, um, why not adopt a diet that gives you the, the best chance for good health? Yes, w- without a doubt. And also, again, no risk, right? No, no side effect, no risk, unlike some of the other things. Um, let me ask well, it's, it's funny. Um, there, there are side effects, but they're good ones. We were doing yes. a, a diabetes study here uh, where we were using a plant-based diet because it restores insulin sensitivity. And we, we've done many of these, but in this particular study, it was people with late-stage diabetes. They, had, they already had neuropathy where their nerves were being attacked, so their, their feet would hurt. There was one right. guy in the study. He was a, a, a bass player, and the neuropathy would attack his fingers so that after about two or three songs, he would have to turn to the, his back to the audience and shake his hands out so he could play again. Anyway, in, in the course of the study, we, we put him on a plant-based diet because, because that improves insulin's action, and he got better and better and better. And he started losing weight, and one day he came in and he said, you know, I, I can play my bass again. But then a little while after that, he said, I feel I got something else I got to tell you. I said, "What? What? What is it?" He said, "I'm young again." I said, "What do you mean?" What he was yeah. trying to say was his erectile ED. dysfunction had yeah. gone away. <laughs> he said, "I can raise." There is a side effect for you. Well, it happens all the time, right. and and the, the the reason for that is blood flow. Yes. That you're not having any cholesterol or animal fat in your diet anymore, so the arteries widen up, and so the a man's private parts get the blood flow that they're supposed to have. And the, the male sexual anatomy is a bit of a hydraulic system where if you don't have good blood flow, right. it just doesn't work. Yes, yes. Well, that's restored usually, oh, about maybe between four to six weeks, something like that, you start seeing uh, significant improvements in blood flow. So a person who's got chest pain, it will, angina, mm-hmm. it will typically go away. But erectile dysfunction is one of the common things to go away as well. And so call that a side effect, but it's one that men are happy about. I'm yep. not quite sure how their wives feel about it, but but uh, for the guys, it's a good thing. I'm sure it's great. The, the speed of the changes are so incredible. Let me ask one more question. You talk about reducing fat um, and that w- in a number of your, I'll call it prescriptions for, for improving these ailments. Um, when you say that, aren't there good fats and bad fats? There are. Yeah, great, great question. Um, there are two essential fats that your body needs, um, and this will not be on the test, but their, their names are alpha-linolenic acid and linoleic acid. I couldn't even they're, they're, spell they're, them, let alone remember them. Uh, sorry? I couldn't even spell them, let alone uh, remember them. <laughs> right, exactly. And, and you don't need to. Um, they, are, they are found in plants, and they are quite abundant, and the amount your body needs is very, very small. Um, however, where we get into trouble is in two ways. Uh, first of all, we tend to eat animal fats, um, which is not so helpful for us. With animal fats, we tend to get more saturated fat, which is the kind linked with Alzheimer's disease, linked with high cholesterol levels, linked with certain cancers. Uh, and there's, there's no requirement for it, but it's abundant in dairy products and meats and so forth. Uh, but the other thing is that our diets just get too much fat. Uh, I mean, French fries and and potato chips and onion rings and, and so forth, they soak up so much grease that we're just giving our bodies a dose of, of, of fat and calories that they don't need. And, and for whatever reason, fats also raise estrogen levels in women's bodies. I don't know why that is. If for uh, the, the, the woman that I described earlier who called me up because she was doubled up with menstrual pain, she found that a completely plant-based diet cured her pain, but if she brought, brought in a lot of greasy food, 
that would cause pain at the end of the month again. So when so, you're so plant-based is good, but keep the grease. I was going to say, okay. So when you're talking about reducing fats, you're talking about the fried foods, the animal fats, and all the all that sort of stuff. So you're not talking about the avocados and the nuts and the olive oil. Well, I am talking about those too. Um, if a person is thin and they don't have diabetes and they really don't have any of these pains, then I think having the occasional bit of guacamole and stuff is is a okay. But if you're, try, if you're actively trying to lose weight or to reverse diabetes, or if you have menstrual pain or fertility issues, I would encourage you, eat. There, there are not many fatty plant products, but nuts, seeds, avocados, that's about it. I would suggest that if you're tackling those issues, that you minimize those as well. So let me ask you a question. And because yeah, I was going to ask this later on, and we'll, I'll hold off for a minute, we'll t- talking about prostate, but let me ask you this, because... What about the satiety and the glycemic index of a lot of these foods? And I know the vegetables have a low glycemic index, and it's fine. But if I, and I, so, you know, using me as my sample of one, where I'm what they call reactive hypoglycemic, if I don't eat something that's, if I eat something that's too simple, be it, you know, just pasta, sweets is totally out, you know, that I, my blood sugar will spike and it will crash. So even a healthy smoothie, too much fruit, any of that without having something to slow the burn, I, my, you know, I'm, I'm basically asleep on the floor underneath the desk, and I'm hungry in five minutes. Yeah, uh, it's a great point. Everybody is a little bit different, but uh, the glycemic index, um, as people may not know, it was, uh, is a simple way to look at how quickly blood sugar rises in response to various foods. So the way it's done is you bring in some volunteers and you feed them brown rice or then white rice and then instant rice and you see the different effects that these things have on blood sugar. And it's really not rocket science. The more something is processed, the higher the the glycemic index. So for example, if you take some white bread and you eat that, your blood sugar is going to rise pretty quickly. But if you took some uh, pumpernickel bread, it rises much more gradually. Or take pasta. Let's say you ate pasta and it was al dente, not cooked very much. It just takes longer for your body to break it down, and so it raises the blood sugar more gently. But if you overcook it, it digests much faster, so it will raise your blood sugar a bit more. Um, so you can uh, take those things into account. And for some people, they find that, that they feel fine no matter what. But if you're sensitive to those things, then you'll want to favor um, the foods that have a low glycemic index. Beans are great. Green leafy vegetables are great. For most people, fruit are fine, with very few few exceptions. You'll have your pasta more al dente, not so much uh, overcooked. All right. So I'm just a, is that and is that a broad thing? So that am I just a, a narrow person? Not small. Everybody everybody is different. And yeah. I'll tell you one one other thing. There are some people who find that if they have only uh, a lot of starch and not much, say, plant protein. Their, their mood is not as good. They're more irritable. And then you, you can do this as an experiment yourself. Then start having plant protein first in the meal. For example, uh, Americans tend not to eat these, but we have been using them uh, with remarkable results with, uh, in this way. Um, you take some tempeh, which is uh, fermented soybeans, and you, you grill it in a nonstick pan, no, no added oil. It, it's sort of like bacon. But, the, but unlike bacon, it doesn't have any animal fat, doesn't have any cholesterol. Um, and then you have sort of my tempeh, quote, bacon first. And you have it first in the meal. 
um, or some people have grilled tofu um, as uh, as their their meal. Or um, in in Mexico, people very often have beans, which Americans never heard of. Uh, they'll have beans at breakfast. Any plant protein early in the day and early in the meal seems to make people's mood much more balanced later in the day. Now, for some people, it doesn't affect them, but for others, they do. So if you're finding that you're feeling a little on edge or, or something like that, you might try that. And you're a fan of soy because soy's been good and soy's, soy's been a hero and soy's been a devil. Well, in the scientific world, it's clearly a hero. Um, in the world, the word, the world of internet urban mythology, um, it's been made a devil. And the, uh, however, I, I have to say that the science is, is in, and the science is really quite clear on it. And here's what happened in 1931, I think it was, researchers discovered isoflavones in they're in soybeans and, and many other foods. They're natural compounds that do seem to adhere to estrogen receptors. So that caused people to worry that a woman consuming soy might get breast cancer because it could turn on her estrogen receptors. Um, or if she's had cancer already, it could cause it right. to, to, to grow. Um, or a man could get breast augmentation, what they call man boobs, as a result of eating tofu or something like that. Um, however, we've had plenty of time to look and to see if that's true. And starting with man boobs, uh, let me encourage you to go to the beach in August, and if you see a guy who's a little heavy set and he's taking his shirt off and he's got some sort of breast development, you might actually ask him, how much tofu have you eaten this week? Um, and what you'll discover is that he says, I don't eat any of that stuff. Are you, you know, I, I'm, I'm a pizza and burger guy. The reason he's got breast augmentation is as he has gained weight, body fat produces estrogens. And it turns his, his own body's testosterone is converted in his fat cells into estrogens that cause breast development. With regard to women, those women who consume the most soy, and I'm, I'm eating just soy milk or tofu or right. miso soup or whatever. Those women consuming the most soy have about 30% less breast cancer risk compared to other women. And women who have been previously diagnosed with breast cancer, again, if they consume the most soy, they have about 30% less risk of dying of their cancer. So soy is, is clearly a hero. Now, um, I'm not necessarily suggesting people have to have it. It's totally optional. But it's always better than what it replaces. It reduces, and also for men, it's, it uh, reduces prostate cancer risk as well. So many people want to take advantage of that. Well, and you know, again, I'm, I keep, every time I talk to you, I get inspired to cut, cut back further on, on the animals that I eat. You know, I haven't eaten dairy, but cutting back the animals. But then I have a hard time finding satisfying proteins. So soy, soy good. So that I'm glad, glad for that to know and glad for that to be cleared up for the rest of the world as well, because it does still retain, remain as a question. Um, Tofu is one of, the, one of these foods that everyone is really kind of phobic of until they had it made the right way, and then they get addicted to it. it it's, it's very funny, you know, if you go to a really good Sichuan restaurant or Hunan restaurant where they really know how to braise, braise their tofu and they put these elaborate sauces on it, mix it with the right vegetables, it happens to be totally vegan, but it's the most gourmet, it's the kind of gourmet food that I never had as a kid growing up in Fargo, North Dakota, I have to say. <laughs> um, the Japanese people will eat tofu often raw, straight out of the package for breakfast. Now, North Americans never heard of that, and that's a little bit extra credit, but there are plenty of ways of making these foods delicious, and, they're, and kids love them if they're introduced early and 
good food. Did you have tofu recipes in the book? I know that we were, I did not dwell on the recipes that were in the book. Are there tofu? Oh recipes my goodness sakes! Um, the, the the recipes were done by Lindsay Nixon, who is a genius in the kitchen, and um, I have to tell you, she she pr- provided. 65 recipes, and when she sent them to me, she sent me a note, which I, I did not realize this. She said, Dr. Bronner, it was great to work with you on the book. I, I hope people enjoy it. The recipes are low-fat. They're totally plant-based. They're great. I think you're going to love them. But what I didn't tell you before, Lindsay said that she herself had had terrible, terrible hormonal issues. She had, she had menstrual pain and, and all kinds of symptoms that go with it. And when she then changed her diet, all those things got better. So this, these are, are very common. There's a ton of them. Uh, widespread. And right. anyway, yes, there are lots and lots of recipes. Try them. You're going to love them. All right. That's awesome. Now, I, you know, we're running a little bit long, but there's one, I want to talk for a minute about prostate cancer because I want, we've talked a lot about women and their women's issues, but with regard to prostate cancer, there's a hor- direct hormonal connection there too. But, and with dairy, I want people to understand this because this had to do with growth factor and the ability for the cancer to grow more aggressively, and I think that's really important for people to understand. When a person, yes, it it is. Prostate cancer is extremely common. Uh, Researchers have taken blood samples from from men, and there's a particular compound called insulin-like growth factor, IGF, or there's there's more than one, but insulin-like growth factor one. If you track men over time, if they have higher levels of it, they've got a higher risk of prostate cancer. It's like a higher cholesterol means higher risk of heart disease, higher IGF-1 means higher prostate cancer risk. And by the way, for women, it means higher breast cancer risk. So researchers fed glasses of milk to volunteers, and they found that if a person would have three glasses of milk a day, their IGF-1 level would go up uh, about 10%. If you then mix that IGF-1 with prostate cancer cells in the test tube, they grow. They grow like crazy. So researchers at Harvard University brought in a large group of physicians as their research subjects, and they used physicians because they're good historians. They will tell you what they've eaten. Uh, those men who ate the most dairy had a 34% higher risk of prostate cancer. They repeated it with a thing called the Health Professionals Follow-Up Study. The big dairy eaters had a 60% higher risk of prostate cancer. So what we think is happening is that milk-drinking men have a higher level of IGF-1 in their blood, in turn that stimulates the growth of prostate cancer cells. And that could have been what was happening with Tony Sadolero, who I mentioned earlier. Right. So I think that's so important. And again, you're, it seems that there is, I'll call it, I, what I narrowed down to, I'll call it the four-step, um, you know, key components of your recommendations that help all these situations, which was avoiding dairy, more plant fiber, no animal protein, and then reducing those fats that we talked about. Is that kind of the summary on it? Yes, yeah, th- th- that's right. Um, and when I was a kid growing up in North Dakota, we just assumed that women got menstrual cramps because this was the curse. Um, we thought that infertility just happened maybe because it was a chemical exposure, um, that men would get prostate cancer because they were old, that women would get breast cancer because of a gene. And you know, all those things may apply, but the, the, the message of your body in balance is that if I can get your body into balance through healthful foods, that your hormones can adjust and all of these things can, can become much, much, much less problematic. And I think within that and expanding on that is that people need to shift 
their mindset to the, the power of this and really believe and understand the power of this. I was going to ask you a question about how should people deal with their doctors when they have these issues because it's outside of the doctor's venues. You know, it's kind of the old, you know, if you have a hammer, everything is a nail. So the doctors have their prescription pads and they've got their surgical, um, you know, solutions so that these things are out of their venues. But I think it really is, as we're talking, that it's about the patient has to try this on their own before they're even talking to the doctor in some ways. Yes, you're right. But I'm very optimistic because uh, more and more doctors are tackling this approach, uh, in, in part because they themselves have these problems. Um, one of the stories that I, that I describe is, is a man named Mike um, who is a physician. He's, uh, he's a neurosurgeon. He's in North Carolina. And he, uh, I was at an event, and he grabbed a hold of me and told me a story. Um, in, in brief, he, his thyroid gland was acting up. His, he, he, he was a generally healthy guy, but his thyroid gland was a little bit sluggish. And the next year and the next year and the next year, he was having his annual exam. And after five years, his doctor said, Mike, let's face it, you are hypothyroid. Your thyroid is, is not kicking in, and so that means you're going to have a little bit of weight gain. He thought, oh, you know, you're right. I've gained seven or eight pounds I didn't want, and your energy's not going to be as good, and, and your hair will change, and skin will change, and all these kinds of things. So his doctor was going to put him on thyroid replacement uh, medication. That's kind of what you do. It, what he did instead was he changed his diet, because when you do that, you can get iodine-rich foods that are good for the thyroid, and you can also uh, reduce autoimmune attacks on the thyroid by, by avoiding we believe it's probably dairy and other proteins that calm down the, the autoimmune attack on the thyroid. Well, to make a long story short, within a matter of a month or two, he, his energy was better. His thyroid uh, numbers were returning to absolutely normal. He lost the seven or eight pounds he didn't want to have, and he's totally healthy. So here's a doctor who has seen firsthand what happens, and there is no bigger advocate for using your fork and knife first before we turn to the prescription pad. Well, that's good. I'm glad that it's starting to shift, although you know, it's not as fast as it would be nice to, to have happen. Um, Neil Barnard, you're awesome. Thank you so very much. Good luck with the book. The book's name is Your Body in Balance, The New Science in Food, Hormones, and Health. And thank you again. Thank you. I'm talking to Dr. Neil Barnard about the many hormonally-based ailments that people receive medical treatment for when the real problem is their diet. Things like infertility, prostate cancer, thyroid issues, erectile dysfunction, menopausal problems are just a few of the ailments for which doctors are prescribing medications, when in reality, having a salad and skipping the ice cream would make a far greater impact. Dr. Barnard has been educating the public about the dangers of animal proteins and helping them to overcome diet-driven ailments such as these for nearly 35 years. His message is just one from the thousands of experts featured in our twice-monthly newsletter, Bottom Line Personal, who provide their expert advice to guide readers into action in their own lives. In addition to Dr. Barnard's insights into health, diet, and nutrition, Bottom Line Personal is filled with actionable advice on all aspects of your life, including traveling safer and cheaper, having a better marriage, finding the best insurance, retirement planning, smart tax strategies, secrets for getting and staying fit, and even travel to little-known destinations. Bottom Line Personal has been helping people lead more informed and vibrant lives for over 40 years with our actionable and double fact-checked advice. Subscribe today and get a free bonus book, Bottom Line's Best Bets, full of some of the greatest tips from our experts of all time. Just go to bottomlineinc.com forward slash expert podcast. That's bottomlineinc.com forward slash expert podcast.